Welcome back to the Conspiracy Club. We're glad that you've joined us. I'm your groovy host for this week, Emir, and I am joined by the party girl in my party world, Tommy D, also known as TJ. What up? You're the only person that calls me that. I guarantee someone else in your life called you that. But it's okay. Make sure you grab a copy of the minutes so you can follow along with Tom and I as we explore the topic of Hollywood actress and party girl Krista Helm. Following my last episode on Carl Tanzler, I thought that we need to take a deep dive into the groovy and sexy 70s. Where are we going to discuss sex, Hollywood parties, Shaw's, murder, black books, and videotapes? So let's dive into it. Big Tommy, are you ready? Hell yeah. So let's start the story at the beginning. Krista Helm was born on November 11, 1949, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to parents Harry and Dolores Wolfell. Now I know you're asking yourself, isn't her last name Helm? Well, the answer to that is no, because like most actors back then, Krista Helm was not her real name, but rather a stage name she picked up in her career. Her real name was Sandra Lynn Wolfeld. As a child, Sandra, or Krista as we grow to know her as, always knew she was going to be a star. She would sing and dance all around her house and would tell everyone who would listen that she was going to be a movie star. And of course, no one would believe her. Sandra, however, was determined to be a star. As she once told a friend, I will not be a Midwestern housewife. Sandra's parents got divorced at the age of three in which Sandra's father got remarried and her mother was driven towards drugs. Wow, that is uh, something else. Yeah, there was a lot of other stuff they said about her mom, but I don't know if, if that was a kind of a rumor or if those were true. I feel like to be a child star, you have to have a kind of a messed up life. Well, okay, some of the things, this is take this all with a grain of salt, some of the things they said was her mother... She began dating a lot of guys, and then the guys would... Sandra had two other sisters that I didn't include, because I wanted to keep it on Sandra slash Krista. So they said that the guys would, you know, sexually assault Krista and her sisters, and then they would... And her mom would believe the guys instead of her. And they also said that, like, Krista had a, like, bad back thing. Like, she had to wear a back brace and stuff. And they all of her siblings had kind of, like, like a muscular deformity or something like that because when her mom was pregnant with Sandra and all her siblings, she was taking diet pills at the same time. Oh, interesting. See, they think that's possibly what caused their uh, physical issues. Yeah. But once again, take those with a grain of salt because I'm not for sure if that's true or not. It's kind of, you know, giving her a backstory that is more sad to explain shit. As Sandra grew older, she began to catch the eyes of men, which led to her, at the age of 16, meeting 26-year-old Gary Clemens and falling in love. Gary owned a karate studio and was even rumored to be dating her mom at one point. However, that's just rumors. Not too long after that, Sandra got pregnant, in which her and Gary had a shotgun wedding before the baby was born. However, on the first day of their honeymoon, when Sandra went to bed, the next morning she woke up and Gary was gone, never to be seen or heard from again. So at the age of 17, Sandra had her daughter Nicole, and she was now a single mother in which she began waitressing. And she moved in with a co-worker named Diane Mitchell, 
who also had a daughter at the same age as Nicole, so it was perfect. Okay, so let's back this up a little bit to the point where it's already believed, potentially, allegedly, that uh, her mom's boyfriends are doing bad things to them, and nobody believes them. And now she gets involved with a man that's much older than her. It's also rumored that her mom used to date him. That feels a little bit gr- extra yeah, gross. I just took it was gross because she was 16 and he was 26. I'm Chris Hansen with Dateline NBC. And also the, and that also is the gross fact too. That's the especially that gross part. She went to sleep one day, and literally the day of their honeymoon, the first day of their honeymoon, he was gone. Did, so did, did he actually just go missing, or just he just peeled out and he was like, "I gotta go get cigarettes. I'll be back." No one actually knows what happened to him. There's been rumors I heard that he had gotten into a motorcycle accident, and he died. And ironically, he died the same year as her, I believe. Also, this is like 1965, and she's a single mother at the age of 17. That's got to have its own. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Issues. Oh definitely. Oh yeah. But yeah. So that's what happened. I don't know. I didn't really find anything else on him. I just know that he kind of peeled out and was like, "I'm gone, motherfucker. I don't want nothing to do with that kid." He didn't have nothing to do with that kid. Oh, we're unlocking more of this tragic backstory here. So one day, the boss of the restaurant that Sandra and Diane worked at invited them to the Playboy Club, which was a chain of clubs owned by Playboy Enterprises featuring lounges, live shows by famous names, and drinks provided by Playmates or Bunnies, of which were even featured in the magazine. At the club, they met famous actor James Darren, and they decided that they both wanted to be bunnies. So both Sandra and Diane's mothers decided to watch their respective grandchildren while their two daughters went and interviewed at the club, in which they were given jobs on the spot. However, Diane's mother refused to keep her daughter, so Diane had to turn down the job, and Sandra, who didn't want to go on her own, turned it down as well. So are they still in Milwaukee, or...? Yeah, they're still in Milwaukee. Uh, The Playboy Club was in... I'm pretty sure it was in Chicago. Okay. Well, that's yeah. not that far. That's like a couple, you know, four-hour drive maybe from Milwaukee. Yeah. Maybe even probably even less than that. So yeah, they were going to go back and forth, and have their parents. I mean, their parents watch the kids during like at night, and then come get them in the morning. But no, nah, their Diane's mom was like, no, 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 you're not, no, you're not. But uh, what she already had her ego fed though in some way by being accepted so maybe this will push her even further towards uh, wanting the uh, spotlight the limelight four years later they both left their daughters with a family friend and fled to new york to become models while there sandra began to catch the eyes of many important people including the wealthy broadway producer stuart duncan they both waitressed at the Gaslight Club, when Diane decided to go back home to be with her daughter, Sandra made a promise to her own daughter that when she turned 10, Sandra would come back for her. When that happened for some reason, Sandra's modeling career exploded in 1971. Her producer boyfriend was working on a popular show called Godspell and allowed her to invest some money into it, and that show blew up, making Sandra a lot of money. And with that, Sandra went and purchased a nice apartment, Corvette, and a great, lavish lifestyle. One year later, her boyfriend brought her a house in the Hamptons because he wanted to show her how much he loved her. 
She even got a boob job. Well, see, now I'm torn because I want to be like, hell yeah, get that bag. You got abandoned by your husband. You had some potential issues with your with your family life when you were growing up. But then also she's just abandoned I mean, her like own daughter. She, okay. I took it as, because I watched her daughter described it as, her mom said that she's going to come back and get her when she feels more safe in like where she's at. Does she? That's what I. That's what I kind of. Huh? Does she though? You're gonna have to find out. Uh, I'm kind of doubting it, and that even so, that seems kind of crappy. Like, just bring your daughter with you. It's. Yeah, but she's like, I can't be a single mom in New York. And be a model. That's not a good image in 1971. Yeah, yeah, you're starting to kind of get it. I like how she got a boob job though, because who wouldn't? But let me tell you something. Her boyfriend, or her, yeah, her boyfriend, Stuart, is a fucking clown shoes. Who buys a house in the Hamptons for someone? I mean, he set her up so well, and just to see how she kind of goes, deuces, later on. I mean, you're going to get even more to see why, you know, she kind of leaves Stuart. And she, like, looking into him more, like, she kind of fucked Stuart over when she left, you know? Like... She does a lot of things that kind of kind of makes me feel bad for Stu the clown, but it's all right. Does she uh does she pull uh pull what uh, he did what her first husband did on uh her? Kind of, but also I'll expand on what I'm going to I'm going to expand on something I say later that shows like she did a little worse than what her husband did to her. I oh. mean, she, he didn't leave her like she didn't leave her with a kid or or he didn't she didn't leave him with a kid or anything but it was like uh you know i mean i guess from a dude's point of view another girl might be like get that back sis fuck him hot girl summer (laughs) (laughs) but all right so this is when sandra invited her friend diane back to see how far she's came and during this time she told diane that she's changing her name to krista helm when asked why Her reason was that an astrologer told her to do it, so she did. She seemed to have everything she ever possibly wanted and was crowned Bachelorette of the Month in Cosmopolitan. Krista even began to start throwing parties for famous people, such as the Rolling Stones, and she even began to date the Shah of Iran. In 1973, her boyfriend Stuart Duncan gave her a starring role in a movie called Let's Go For Broke. The movie opened up in Cincinnati in 1973 and closed in just four days. Side note, the movie is fucking terrible. Thank you and back to the show. A few months later, Krista left New York and headed for the bright lights of Hollywood. Wait, so have you seen this movie that she was in? I've seen a, I've seen a few clips. I can't find it. I've been looking all day. But the clip I've seen is her... Okay, so there's a guy in a wheelchair... And she throws a blanket over his head and she starts running around him in circles and he's just going and he's chasing after her. What? <laughs> this sounds fake. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm serious. It was Oh god. So man. tell me this though. She was successful enough somehow that she was still able to move from New York to Hollywood to like even pursue this even more, even though that was a big flop? Yeah. 
what probably because of her modeling career and like her her money that she has from from Stewart's show. Yeah, I would say modeling. Plus, she got to look at the people she's dating and throwing parties for. Like she's throwing parties for the Rolling Stones, the Shah of Iran. Like, come on now. Now here's what I was gonna wait, say. Wait, wait, wait! You never got back to what happened to Stewart. Let me finish. So I, that's what I meant. But I was gonna expand on it. Stewart. So when they were writing, when they were doing the movie Let's Go for Broke, that Stewart like financed the whole thing. She started like she expanded the budget so much on that movie. Like that movie was supposed to cost like maybe a few million, but like she expanded it so much via like makeup and like costume. Like she had people like constantly all the time like making her up and like she spent hours just putting on makeup and trying on shit and like going no and like she was like really kind of turned into a diva at that point already even though like she hadn't really earned that yet so then like after all that after expanding that giant budget her and Stuart kind of fell out because like Stuart was pissed off that he had to spend all this extra money on this movie and also, she was kind of screwing around with other people. Like I said, like the Shah of Iran. And he was like, what the fuck? And she's like, well, like, you know, she was kind of like a free spirit. So she just left him. Okay, also, my next question. How do you just, like, become, like, a, a, a party thrower for famous people? Via Stuart Duncan. Stuart. Well, she's got a house had, in the Hamptons, too, I guess. So. Yeah, so, and Stuart had, like, a lot of connections with famous people, so she just met them through him, and then that's how she started throwing parties and stuff like that. I also want to know how you just, like, run into the Shah of Iran and just start dating him. I, look, that was another one where I was, like, that was the one thing that I, I didn't really find how they met. It was just, like, he would... You know, he met her, and then she would go over there. There was even, like, a little conspiracy that he would, she would go to him. This is true. She would go over to Iran and hang out with him for, like, a few weeks, and he would give her jewels and shit like that. And then when she came back to America, the government would come to her and ask her, like, what the fuck is he doing over there? What's going on? And she would tell him, and she would get paid for that, too. Oh, shit. So that was like the little conspiracy. I couldn't prove that, but I did, can prove that she did go over there. The government part, I'm not for sure of. Hey, so she's getting paid from her Stuart Duncan and all of her stuff that she's doing there. She's getting paid from the government, potentially. Yeah. And she's kind of getting paid from the Shah of Iran. That's nuts. Yeah. So she's doing a lot. And she was Cosmopolitan Bachelorette of the Month. Come on, man. While there in Hollywood, she landed roles in Wonder Woman and Starsky and Hutch. She lived with famous financier Bernie Kornfeld in a gigantic mansion in Beverly Hills. The house was spectacular and even had a maid quarters. She began dating a lot of people, all of which were kept in a sex diary of hers, complete with its own rating system that unfortunately I could not find. But Tom, are you ready to hear some of the alleged names in this glorious book? Oh yeah, I'm ready. Alright, alright. Here we go. So here's a list. Warren Beatty, Mick Jagger, Jack Nicholson, Ryan O'Neill, George Hamilton, Roman Polanski, Broadway Joe Namath, Desi Arnaz, The Shah of Iran, Bernie Kornfeld, Eagle Burt Humperdinck, 
Frankie Crocker, Michael Sarazen, Johnny Rivers, and many more that we will never know because unfortunately the sex diary was stolen from her. But we'll talk about that later. But how about this fucking list she got here? Dude, those are those are some pretty huge names across the she board. Got you some... got Warren Beatty, Mick Jagger, Joan Namath, and Rowan Polanski. And then the Shah, of course. Think about, and this is in like the 70s. Like these guys are fucking popping at this point. How weird would it be if they stole that book and then the Shah, uh, neither the Shah or Bernie were in it. She was just like living with them and dating them. <laughs> she, she was just, be... they're, they're, they're her sugar daddies. All right, so Bernie, right, to add on to that, what Bernie Kornfeld would do, he was like this gigantic financier and shit. He even had like a little, I think he had a 60 minutes for him back in the day or some shit. But what he would do is he would, every time he would go like fly to places and all that and in his house, he would just always have a bunch of beautiful women with him or a bunch of women. Like that was like his thing. So in his house, it was just always filled with women. He, there is another rumor that he, asked uh krista to be like a a high maintenance and high paying car girl but she declined and he was kind of you know sad about it but she also like knew people who could you know be willing to fuck some of these dudes if they need a little bit of the sucky sucky she knew who the <laughs> She knew who to connect them with, you know? Well, now that you add that, this feels more, much more shady. Like, if you think of it that way, like, this is like a massive ring of, like, sex trafficking. Yeah. Or maybe not. Kind I mean, of. maybe they're escorts. That's how, that's that's fine. Yeah, I think, I think it was more escorty. Also, uh, the other thing is, let me see. Uh, Roman Polanski was coming off the death of uh, Sharon Tate. Just to throw that in there. And, uh, yeah, she would, I'll just throw that out there. She would, uh, record, like, she would do a rating system on the dudes that, like, she was sleeping with. Now, what I, I kept looking for shit, and I found that she kind of, her friend said that she kind of did a, like, her, it was rating from 1 to 10. With 1 being shitty and 10 being they did their thing. But... She also recorded the sex too. What, like audio or video or what? Yes, audio. Oh, audio. Oh my god! Did, did wait? Did they know about it? The dudes? Yeah. I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Those recordings are gone. Oh, they found some of the recordings. Wow. Yeah. Later on, though, I'll explain later on. They were not found in the seventies. I'll tell you that much. Krista, such a promising and talented actress, will not expect what would happen next when three months after her 27th birthday, on February 12, 1977, she was found bludgeoned and stabbed 22 times around the neck and face, almost underneath her parked car, by a young man crossing the street who said that he had heard her gas for her last long breath. So yeah. Wow, that took a fast turn. Yeah, because everything between them didn't really matter matter you know she turns 27 gets stabbed 22 times and bashed in the head i feel like when you're connected to all those those big names and then you're doing very intimate activities and then recording them and you're involved with people like the shah of iran i feel like you're starting to run a risky life there yeah that was another problem with me researching this literally man like 
I could have killed her at this point, dude. Like, there's so fun. There's so many people who could have possibly done this shit that it's insane. Like, I'm gonna when I get into the theories, like, there's a lot of theories. There's not just like fuck. There's not just one or two theories. There's like several theories. That's what took me to find out. Yeah. Well. I- what? I was gonna say not not in a victim a victim blaming way, but it's just like there's so much stuff going on there, and then she's also doing so much stuff that it's just super hard to track. That's what I'm saying, and like there's, she's also doing shit that people would like want to kill you for. You know, like there's things in this diary. I, I'm just I'll get into it later. Maybe somebody gets a one and that That's diary what I'm saying. maybe gets out there. Like, They're not going to be happy. Can't fuck anymore. You know? I'm Joe Namath and I can't do it anymore. Yeah, like, I'm not going to want to sleep with, like, fucking Mick Jagger if he has a one penis. <laughs> to be fair, Mick Jagger, like, he's super old now and he still has reputation currently for being, like, a playboy, so. For being a, a good a good shot, I guess maybe, or maybe it's just star power is carrying him still. Ah, uh, you don't think he's a good shot? I don't know. I feel like he's really, really old. I don't know how he could still be <laughs> that great. He just he just had a baby recently, asshole. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. That just means he can aim it right. Her murder should have been one that rocked Hollywood in the world, like for example, the Manson murders. But it was confusingly more hush-hush and wasn't even covered by gossip columns. This is weird because she was incredibly well-known by then, but a lot of people believe that it was not covered heavily because of the people and things that she potentially knew that did not want those things in the public. This theory is thrown around because of a Tommy Boy purse that possibly contained her little black book, which was stolen from her body. So let's get into the things that surrounded the murder and the potential suspects. I mean, yeah, fair, fair enough. That's that's what kind of we were speculating. But it is weird that it's hush hush. I guess you'd have to to be the the people she's running with have to be pretty wealthy. I guess wealthy enough to maybe pay off anyone that might cover it and make this story go to space, basically. Yeah. I can see where nobody would want it out. I don't know. It's interesting. But, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the actual case, though. Because let's just stop cutting the shit and get into it. On the night of February 12, 1977, Krista and roommate Stephanie attended a Hollywood party, which was a common occurrence. After that, Krista called their talent agent, Stanford Smith, to come party with them, in which he denied. But Krista, ever the charmer, decided to go to his home and persuade him. His house was located on, on Lloyd's Place in Hollywood. She took Stephanie's car, and either before or after she arrived, she was attacked. Stanford denied ever hearing her near his house, but a neighbor, John Grizzy, says he heard her. says he heard a loud scream, so he went outside with a gun and saw nothing, probably because Krista was already halfway under her car by then. He also only checked the sidewalk, which police say that if he would have walked into the street, he would have seen her body. Also, one last side note, Krista was a black belt in karate, so take that with a grain of salt. Okay, so I guess here's a question I have. How did she get underneath the car? They don't know. I think, I just guess that as she was going and fighting, she just kind of got under there. Like, I don't know. 
Maybe she went under there to hide, like protect herself. Well, she's I was gonna she, she got stabbed, and you can't really stab her if she's under the car. So maybe she got she didn't get hit though, did she? No, she didn't get hit. Interesting. But uh, so the Stanford guy says he doesn't hear or see anything, but there's a loud scream that his neighbor hears. So that's kind of suspicious that he knows nothing. Uh, I'm just gonna tell you now. They never questioned him. So. Oh. I don't know if that's better or worse for his case. Uh, there's going to be several times where you're going to say that to yourself. All right, then. Also, if I ever say a first name without a last name, just know that that person still to this day won't reveal their last name. Oh, okay. Like, still yeah. about this case? Yeah, because they're scared that the person might still come and kill them, even though a lot of the people are dead. Because they're old fucks. The story of her death did not make any national headlines, but it did seem like the police were on the hunt for a diary and audio tapes that she kept of her sexual encounters. Police did find a postcard sent to a friend named Darlene from Krista saying that she's way over her head and in something that she can't get out of, and the case unfortunately went cold. Krista's daughter, who was nine when she died, fought for her mother's case to be reopened which it luckily was. So let's get into the potential suspect. So she was nine when her mother died. So she wasn't at that 10-year-old mark nope, yet. But however, one year. However, how can you not say, with as famous as she is, that it's not okay for her daughter to come with her yet? Because she's still engaging in some dangerous behavior? Honestly, that's what I took it as, that I wouldn't want my child. If I'm doing all this wild shit, I wouldn't want my kid around. But don't you also think that she's successful enough that she doesn't have to do the wild shit and she can just live with her daughter? Is she successful? You said she was. I mean... She's rich. She's She wasn't really... I guess. I guess. I guess. She's I got a really, house in the Hamptons. And in Beverly Hills. But the Beverly Hills house wasn't hers. That was that other guy's. She just was living there. Oh, that's fair. I will say her daughter would tell because her daughter did go and visit her at times and Nicole her daughter who also wouldn't give her last name or where she lived because she thought that the killer would try to kill her uh, her daughter said she would go there and like she would her mom would have her at parties where like she said one time she was like there was this one guy smoking a lot and she kept staring at his lips and like wow his lips are weird and it was Nick Jagger <laughs> and she was like oh shit and like her mom would just have her at like parties and she was like her mom would make her feel like she was the only person in the world and she just never felt like her mom would like she felt like her mom would have came and got her and that when she did find out that her mom died she just like she was outside of school just crying well damn yeah, yeah so I, I guess she did say that she felt like she was in over her head so maybe like well I guess definitely her outward like image that she's projecting is very different from what's happening behind closed doors yeah and then also like i said the girl didn't turn 10 yet so she's like ah you're not old enough to come hang even though when you do come hang i I let you party with us for some reason the first theory connects krista's murder with another high profile murder that occurred a year before on the same day that murder was the death of rebel without a cause actor sal manio who was stabbed in the heart by a pizza delivery man and hardened criminal Lionel Ray Williams, but the police believed he was already in jail when this happened. Decades later, when the case was reopened, they would find out that that was not true. 
Interesting. They're both stabbings too. Yeah. And of they... of famous people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one was just a single stab wound to the heart. Though. Th- that is, that's a good point. Yeah, the second one was 22 times and a bashing in on the head. So that, to me, doesn't make sense. But also, once again, this shows you how terrible police were in the 70s. They thought he was in jail, but they find out literally decades later in like 2006 that he was like literally free when that happened. <laughs> they had more important things to worry about in the 70s, like uh, being really racist. True, true. And sex and bushes. All that. Yep. All right, back to this next <laughs> The next theory comes from the fact that many believe that Krista planned to write a tell-all book about the men and women she had slept with, but since it was stolen, that couldn't be followed up on. Luckily, the cops once again decades later found recordings that Krista had of the sexual encounters with the celebrities she slept with. Most of them disappeared though, but that does lead to our third theory or suspect. So they found some of the tapes. And they, they, they didn't find anything that was too, I guess, revealing in terms of the case in any of them? No, and the tapes they did find, they said that they wouldn't reveal who the people were in the videos or in the audio tapes because they just felt like, hey, it's been like, that was the 70s, I'm going to let it slide. But they did say they just, they found them, listened to all of them, and were like, huh, look at this. So why did... Why do people believe that she was going to write a tell-all book? Like, what would that... It'd probably be really well-selling, but it would only get her in more danger. And, you know, according to her, she's already in over her head with something. And we don't know exactly what that is. So the idea was that she told her friend, I think Darlene once again, that at some point... Because our friend Darlene was like, hey, I don't think you should be keeping this shit anyway. And she's like, nah, I want to keep score, but also I'm going to write a tell-all book one day. And she's like, I'm going to make a lot of money and then kind of just cash out. All right, fair enough. I guess, and also maybe if you write about them, it'd be really hard to put their names in there because people could sue. But if you did, that's kind of some protection. If you already believe you're in danger, if you'd be like, look, all these people that I'm connected with, could be any of them. And if you died, you're like, there's a list, just follow it. Our next theory involves the actor, Tony Sirico, who found fame as the character of Polly Walnuts in The Sopranos. Back in 1977, after Krista was killed, Tony Sirico was sent to her house to check on and protect the welfare of her roommate. According to the roommate, Tony removed some tapes from Krista's room, those tapes were never seen again, and he also took furs and clothes too. At the time, he was not questioned by police. They are probably his tapes. <laughs> I never actually thought of it that way. He's like, ah, oh, I'll go protect her. I gotta get this shit out of here. <laughs> He's like, let me get my shit out of there before. I know I got a one. <laughs> <laughs> I know I gave her the mad limp dick. I don't want her to write about. I don't want her to write about that. I'm still trying to get this nut off. I'm not even Sopranos haven't even came out yet. I'm still kind of fake famous. It's also, what's weird about that though, so if you can assume that much, but then why would he take furs and clothes too? Maybe because he need a fur baby, you know? He probably said, them some nice ass furs, I can put them on and give it to somebody else. Yeah, she's not using them anymore. Yeah, exactly. There is a reason, but 
I, I that's just my little bullshit reason. Maybe he's like, I'm gonna give him to somebody else. You know, it's some new babies out here. But once again, the roommate did not want to reveal her name because she was afraid that somebody would try to kill her. Well, so they're all terrified. Decades later, still. Yep. Or this was at the time when the first police crew asked them, because the first police didn't question him at all, Tony Sirico. Because they were just a bunch of putts for some... Actually, the reason why the first police officer or the first detective who was on the case didn't question him, I'm going to cover later on because he thought something else. But he's also just terrible at his job. In 2006, when the case was reopened by the new guys on the case, detectives Larry Brandenburg and Tom Harris, shout out to Tom, they decided to question him. They said he was uncorroborative and he, he claimed to not know her and didn't know she was killed. But then, remarkably, he remembered, but then claimed to not know her or her roommate. After he was questioned by the police about where he was that night, his attorney abruptly ended the interview. The police told him at the time that he was not a suspect, more of a witness, but that changed. Years later, most of Krista's missing things were found at the house of her close friend, costume designer Lenny Barron. Police believe Lenny sent Tony there to claim her things because he did not want Chris's name to be slandered because of all of the recordings of her encounters. Lenny Barron unfortunately died in 2003. Police believe he might have had more of the taste, but they could not ask because of his death. Okay, so that, that you know that would be kind of neat if he was like, "Oh, I know that they can just drag our name through the mud if they find this stuff, so let's get it out of there." But that still doesn't explain the clothes to me. Why would you take the clothes? I mean, I guess, I guess he was a costume designer. Nah, Tony was a bad bitch. Hold on. Hold on. Let me send you Tony. See it? Oh, wow, yes. He's he's very interestingly dressed. Yeah, so he might have wanted that shit. He might have been like, I know what she's got, and I want that shit. Exactly. He's like, However, I also do want to keep her name from being slandered. Exactly. So he's like, you know... I'm a bad bitch, but at the same time, I want that fucking jacket. But that's my friend, but I want that fucking fur jacket. But let's get into another Maybe he gave it to her, and he was just like, okay, well, I want it back then. All right. (laughs) Another theory comes from a story that a man named Rudy Manzella, known for his Anything Goes parties that Krista frequented, bragged that he killed her. Rudy was known to walk around his house wearing nothing but a cowboy hat and a gun belt with a six gun. He was also a known drug dealer. His ex-wife said that he would threaten her and in a videotape from a woman that was interviewed by cops in 1977 said that Rudy told her husband that he murdered Krista. He did not give a reason, but he did do it. The police questioned him back then and he denied it, so they let it go and Rudy has died since then. Rudy was known to be a liar, though, and would claim things he didn't do only for notoriety. Both the husband who said Rudy told him this, and even Rudy himself, has died since then, so they couldn't be questioned. Interesting. I don't know if I believe that he did it, but he's definitely an interesting figure here. Yeah, I'm not for sure if I believe he did it, but I can see Rudy knowing who did. But he also, he kind of had a face of someone who would kill someone. But I can't really find a picture of him right now. But yeah, he, he's also abusive to women. He, but there's, yeah. is there anything that ties him to Krista, like in that night, or is he just? Is it just his confession here? The confession and her frequenting his parties, but that's it. Interesting. Yeah. 
Um, the next theory is kind of messy. I'm going to give you a heads up now. Like, there's a lot of shit going on in this next one. But, so get ready to fucking buckle up. The next theory comes from a backup singer for Krista named Debbie Danilo. And that the theory is that Krista, who was trying to get into the music world, began dating Freddie Crocker, produced her music, and was a well-known DJ back then. Krista also began dating a backup singer on this song she was making named Patty Collins. And Patty was extremely jealous of anyone trying to get next to Krista. Now to further complicate things, the keyboard player for the session, Blair Aronson, told detectives that he was dating Debbie, and he also slept with Krista the day before she died. He also said that after they finished having sex, they sat on the edge of the bed, and when they looked outside the window, they saw Debbie staring at them and waving. Blair and Krista were startled by this, but they laughed, and Debbie ran away. Debbie denies this, and after this, both Debbie and Patty were fired from the recording session. When Debbie talked to detectives back then, she blamed Patty, and a few days later, after the murder, she put on a wig to disguise herself and left town. Debbie said she did this because she didn't want anyone to know who she was and to think that Krista told her stuff and then try to kill her. But yeah. Wow, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there, you're right. Yeah, that's why I said that one's it's extremely messy. So, Krista was fucking Frankie, but then she was fucking Patty, and then Blair was fucking Debbie, but then Blair was also fucking Krista. Krista's having sex with everybody here, right? I mean, almost. It's... Except for Debbie. Yes, except for Debbie. And Debbie saw Krista in... And just waved? And waved, <laughs> yeah. She knocked on the window and waved. And then they were like, whoa. And then they laughed at her. And then she ran away. <laughs> <laughs> and this was the day before she died. Yikes. So that's that's what, so weird. So this is why detectives feel like it might have been a crime of passion. But, Honestly, the waving thing is the weirdest part that throws oh, me off. Oh, for sure. That For me, that was. I was like, why would you wave? You know? They're like, oh my god, your girlfriend just caught us. <laughs> and then she runs off? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, she was like, she, she's like, I see you. Like, I took it as a, I see you, motherfucker. And then Krista, oh, okay. and Krista and Blur left each other, like, ha, ha, ha. We're fucked. Oh, we're fucking still. Get out of here, you bitch. (laughs) (laughs) She ran in sadness. But yeah. So, then a break in the case comes when one of the fingertips preserved from the crime scene over the years, they found DNA under it. And shockingly, it was a woman's DNA. So this is like, oh shit. We know a woman might have, a woman probably killed her. Someone tried to say that when I was watching the interview, the person who was doing the interview was like, I don't see a woman committing this crime. Like, I don't know if a woman would be strong enough. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) But the guy was like, when it's a crime of passion, anything can happen. And I also took it as uh, Krista knew who the person was. So she immediately didn't try to, you know, fucking go for the kung fu beatdown 
So the person yeah, kind of caught sharp. them off guard and stabbed in the throat, and then by then it was basically a wrap. You're kind of fighting for your life, but it's over. If you think it was Debbie's DNA, you would be wrong, because it was not. Luckily, an anonymous tip led them to Patty, and what's shockingly, Patty claimed to not know Krista at all, and she even claimed that she was never in Southern California, which they know for a fact is a lie. They got her DNA, but it has not come back yet. Even when I looked at the updates for it, I still didn't see anything about her DNA coming back. Why does everybody just claim to not know her when they can clearly place them That's what around I'm saying. her? They put, you want to know how fucked up the Patty one is? They placed her in photos, and she said it wasn't her. No, that's she just looks like me. <laughs> Literally, that's what they were like. She's like, I've never met this woman at all. I was never in Southern California. I don't know what you're talking about. They're like, I feel like those are big red flags because also she was in a relationship of some sort with Krista and she was known to be incredibly jealous. Literally, Debbie said that. And so if she's having sex with a bunch of other people, it feels like Patty is going to get real upset with exactly. that. Exactly. And Debbie said it was to the point that if people were even around Krista, she would get pissed off. And also, not only was Krista having sex with all these people, Patty then got fired Ford, from the yes. reporting session. I feel like that's plenty of reason right there to have her be pissed. Yeah, I, they fumbled so much on this fucking case, man. They fumbled so much, but that was so messy. That part is so messy. I feel like... There's some cases that I feel like would be open and shut. This isn't necessarily one of them. But this in particular would have made me go, Patty. Patty. Yeah, I feel like definitely she seems the one that is... I guess maybe it's because it's the last one that we talked about. But I feel like I'm really... It feels like that one makes a lot of sense. Where some of the other ones, not not all the details match up. I guess maybe this one is... There's less details, but it just seems more right. And she's like clearly blatantly lying about knowing exactly. her. Exactly. And it's like, I would have been, Patty, maybe if you might not have did it, you know who the fuck did it. Like, literally, you were, like, I have 100% proof. I have a photo of you there. You were fucking this girl. I would put. It wasn't me. Literally, that's what she said. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. They're like, this is you. She's like, nope. It wasn't me. I was never there. I don't know what you're talking about. I. I was at home. What is that, a photo of me and her? That's not evidence. Yeah, that's who? Me? Bitch? That's fake. She's like, that's not me. That's someone. I know that woman looks like me, but that is not me. Like, come on, Patty. Get out of here. The original detective on the case believed that the killer was Lionel Williams from the Sal Molino case, who was never questioned about the murder. But till this day, Krista Helm's murder remains unsolved. The police are now searching for Lionel Williams, who only served 12 years in jail for Sal's murder and has not yet been found. But who do you believe did it? Okay, I'm still going to stick with Patty, but it's weird that they have not found him. And also that he only served 12 years for murder. That one kind of fucked me up, but... After I guess they didn't even know he was in jail, so how would they know that he's out of jail? Literally. And then post when I finished this like finished this and I looked up uh him, he is in jail now. He's in jail again but because of he had I think he did ten as I looked at it, he did 
10 fucking robberies. Oh my god, and a murder? Yes, after this he went on a fucking run. And he was sentenced to 57 years in prison for the 10 robberies. Did they ever question him about the Krista case though? Nope. Not as far as I know. I'm going to further, I'm going to update it on Twitter if I find anything else. But like when I was trying to, I was fucking Googling for hours. I couldn't find shit on this case now. I just found. I'm still sticking with Patty though. I just found a, a fucking tree of all the people she fucked and who they fucked. The thing was probably massive. It was massive. It was giant. And it is hilarious. Who do you believe did it? Um, I'm leaning towards either Patty knows who did it. Or she did it herself. Because the female DNA that rules out most of the guys in it. So that's why I fall towards Patty. Debbie, I'm kind of suspicious on. But like her D- the DNA came back is not hers. But yeah. But I'm leaning towards Patty. Because come on now. Come on. You know, if she wouldn't have lied about it, then I wouldn't have said her. But the fact that you lied blatantly. The fact... I would have been fine if she said, I didn't know Krista, even though they have photos. But the fact that she lied and said she was never even in California, in Southern California, that's where I was like, come on, dude. She's just trying to put herself as far as possible from the murder. I'm like, come on, fam. Like, you were there. Young. And she's like, where where, where did she get murdered? Yeah, I wasn't there. That wasn't me. She's like, I was nowhere near there. I was in Idaho, actually. Like, come on. I was in Idaho above a car. I wasn't actually even under it. (laughs) I was nowhere near vehicle. Like I was, <laughs> I was nowhere near where you anything you could transport yourself on. I was, uh, this this case is just so like, when I mean this case is fucked. Like it's just the police in the seventies, just the detectives fucked this case up so much. Like, at the end of the documentary, they have the the guy who used to work on the old case. I just edited all his shit out because I'm like, shut the fuck up, dude. He's like, he thinks Sal Molino did it. I'm like, there's no male DNA around. He's just like throwing numbers at the wall. He's like, I had had no idea. No, what happened was he was like, we were on the case. Then they got kicked off the case. And then the case went cold. And then he got moved from... The case didn't go cold until he got moved from his... uh, from California to another agency or another force. So he just got kicked off the force in California. And then the case was closed. But the guys who are on her case right now, the detectives have also solved five other cold cases at the time. So there's hope. I hope they find out someday. I could kind of li- Yeah, I do too. I feels like that honestly, it feels like in most unsolved mysteries, it's rarely like the killer is like some super genius that can outsmart everybody. It's usually like cops bungling it. Literally, it's usually the cops fucked it up and now you know the person is stuck to not know anything about it. It is what it is though. But And also, it's one of those things where like as soon as you can't like go back like it's kind of almost over if you blow it immediately. Yeah, it's like you. there is no, I'm going back in time and figuring it out. No, like, you're not there anymore. It's not fresh anymore. But it also makes it, like, makes why, like, unsolved cases now are even more crazy to me. Because it's like, 
if they even find just a smidge of shit, like, I'm not, I would never, I would never kill anyone today. Like, it's like, I mean, if they're white. If they're white, <laughs> hey, man. You're done. It's a wrap. If, if they're white, they're going to minority they're report They're going to find out. They're going to find out. They're going to be like, we found... See, what he what Emir actually did wrong was he shit it in the toilet before he left. And even though he flushed it, we found his thumbprint on the little, I mean, on the knob. So then we then took that thumbprint and we found that it was Emir's thumbprint from back in 2006 where we had his thumbprint for when he had to, I don't know, uh, put his thumb on something. <laughs> and we found out that it was him. Like, they're going to find you. But... That's all I have for you all for Conspiracy Club this week. What are you we talking about next week, Tommy? Tommy Tommy Two Shoes? We're talking about uh, the first two most famous cases of alien abduction. And so that is uh, this guy in, I think, Brazil, and then this other family from Massachusetts. And they're both in the 60s. We're going back to the sexy 60s. All right gonna be a lot of bushes involved hopefully yeah and guess what there's also an interracial couple whoa okay some wait which type uh the dude is black and the woman is white uh, that's, that's kind of normal <laughs> was it yeah he kind of lost me oh sorry to disappoint you yeah there's also aliens if that's okay if that's yeah, any... yeah i'm back i'm back but I will now bid adieu to you all once again and enjoying this meeting. Tom, plug our shit, you know. So, as always, you can join the club by following us on Instagram and Twitter at Tom and Demir. And you can like our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash conspiracy club. And you can like us there. Please like us there. Please like us. We just want to be liked so bad. And plus on our Twitter, I, I do... I... I respond pretty often on there, even though for some reason my Twitter won't allow me to switch to it as easily as it used to. I still do respond mostly, or Tom responds. You never really know who's responding. It's usually in yeah, there at this point. Yeah, it's usually me. But if it's on the other shit, like the Instagram and Facebook, it's Tom usually. But like I always say, join the club. And damn, detectives back in the 70s. We're fooked. Goodbye, folks. I love that attitude.